Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, April 18th, 2021, we continue our series titled Uncommon Joy, the Book of Philippians. Today's sermon, An Uncommon Workout, will be taught to us by Pastor Mark Yule out of Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Enjoy. So I don't know about you, but I think in pictures a lot of times. And so when I was coming up with the title of Uncommon Workout, my mind went to a few unusual physical workouts that I've seen, and I thought I'd share three of them with you. So if you could, just watch this for some uncommon workouts. Mrs. Jimenez up on the practice ground getting loose today. I gotta tell you, if I had that particular stretch in my arsenal, <laughs> I think I'd do that in the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would do that and run as well. Um, I love the cigar that's spoken out of his mouth there, talking about getting in great shape and that type of thing. Well, you know, those uh, might be funny. I don't know about you. They were to me. Uh, They may be effective, but the uncommon workout that we're going to be taking a look at this morning is going to go way, way, way beyond just the idea of a physical workout. Uh, We're going to be seeing what it really means to have a spiritual workout, and I was reminded of how Paul would write about this idea of working out when he would write to Timothy and said, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. And I love that passage. One, I love it because, as you can see from this chiseled form before you, I'm not really one to to hold bodily uh, discipline up in high regard. But I like this because of the promise that it holds for us in regards to the power of God's word and what he provides. And folks, that's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to see an uncommon workout that if we really grasp what these little two verses are talking about from Philippians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, if we could understand these 50 or so words, it's going to radically change how we view God, how we look at our faith, and maybe most importantly, how we live out our faith to the glory of God. So this uncommon workout, there's, there's a lot for us. And I want to set it up by presenting several, I'm calling them tension points, some things that seem like they might be diametrically opposed, but we're going to see through this passage how they'll work themselves out. For example, uh, on one hand, you've got the religious achiever, and on the other hand, you've got what I refer to as the spiritual pacifist. The, the, the achiever is the one who's just working like the dickens. They're busting their pick to try to please God who must be keeping score of making sure that our rights outweigh our wrongs. That's the, the religious achiever. On the other hand, you've got the religious pacifist. This is the one who doesn't even want to break a spiritual sweat for God. He or she is just kicking back in their lazy boy lounger and going with the expression, just let go and let God. Well, how do you reconcile both those extremes? 
How about the, the, the torn, the one who's torn? Uh, in their mind, they're thinking, God, I want to do what you want to do, but I also want to do what I want to do. So God, I'm willing to go anywhere you want me to go. Just don't send me to Africa or make me work in the nursery. You know, that's the torn person. How about the fearfully schizophrenic person? This would be the one that, that looks at the Bible and says, now, am I to fear the God of the Old Testament? Or should I turn to what Jesus said and said, fear not? It's the proverbial to fear or not to fear. That is the question. And so what do we do with that? And finally, you have the confused that would look at a passage, even what we're going to read this morning, and read for work out your own salvation, for it is God who works in you. So the confused person would look at a verse like that and say, well, whose work is this? Is it ours or is it God's? Well, believe it or not, these two verses are going to sort through all four or five of those different tension points, and we're going to come to a conclusion that will show us what an uncommon workout looks like where we can end up with this uncommon joy that's the theme of our whole book of Philippians. So let me um, give you the big idea right up front. Uh, it really hinges upon four words. I put them in a sentence that's a little bit longer. But here's the, the main idea. God wants us consistently obedient by being continually dependent. So if you leave here with just four words under your belt, think of consistent obedience and think of continual dependence. We're going to see how both of those come into play. So again, let's turn to uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Paul writes these words, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So um, he starts off with this wonderful word, therefore. Now, as we've taught you many, many times, when we see the word therefore, what are we supposed to ask? Oh, come on. Every other service just filled this right in. What? What's it there for? Yes, good for you. Thank you for responding to that. Yeah, when we see therefore, it's setting up this thing that's in the context of the greater passage. And in this particular case, Paul writes therefore in verse 12 to refer us back really to how we started, but specifically chapter 2. Because it's in chapter 2 where he's given so much instruction for us. He's told us that, hey, um, I want you to have the mind of Christ. I want you to be humble like Christ. I want you to be obedient like Christ. And in the greater context of what Paul has written already, he's basically moving from uh, what Thomas talked about a couple weeks ago and last week, he's moving from doxology, that we'd be thinking straight, to, um, or I'm sorry, doctrine, thinking straight, to doxology, which is praising God. This week, we're going to see he's moving into the doing aspect. So we go from doctrine 
to doxology, to doing, or if you want to lump it up in two words, from praising to practicing what the Christian faith is all about. And so that's the therefore, and it's again, it links us back to the prior verses. And then he offers these two little words, my beloved. And at first I was just going to glance over those, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized that there's a little hidden bonus principle here for us. My beloved. You know, Paul is really, really good at openly expressing what he's feeling inside. Have you, have you noticed that already in Philippians? He's already said that I hold you in my heart to the people that are reading this letter. He's already told them, I yearn for you with the affection of Christ, and here he calls them my beloved. So here's the little bonus exhortation for those of us that might be a little bit shy in regards to openly expressing our affections. And, and guys... This is mostly applicable, I think, to us. We're like that proverbial guy at the wedding that told his wife, honey, I love you, and if anything changes, I'll let you know. Uh, that's not Paul. Paul wants us to be just like he's modeling, to be verbally expressive about telling um, what we feel. You know, to quote the great theologian Garth Brooks, that we would tell the one that you love just what you're thinking of in case tomorrow never comes. Let's learn to be more expressive of how we feel. That's a good opening principle. But that brings us to the uncommon workout that we read about next. So an uncommon workout, what does it require? Well, it requires consistent obedience. And really, we see that consistent obedience when we take a look at the good choices that we make no matter when, and no matter who's looking. Now, Paul would say it this way. He says, as you have always obeyed. Now, that's quite a statement to make about somebody. As you have always obeyed. Does this mean that the Philippians were perfect in every way? That they never made any mistakes? No, they're just like you and I. They'll, they'll blow it occasionally, but what Paul is commending, what he's thankful for, is that the Philippians were obedient as a lifestyle. They were obedient as a lifestyle. He could look back on their past and said, you know, I can remember how you obeyed when I was right there with you, and in the, in the past you made great decisions. Now, when I'm not with you, I want you to continue to make good decisions, to be consistent about that. And again, so much of what we need is consistency. Isn't that what we want as parents from our kids? Oh, yeah. We just want them to make good choices all the time. And that's what Paul wants from the Philippians, and that's what God wants from, from you and I. That's a sign of maturity that we would just keep making good choices. And not only consistent choices all the time, but no matter who's looking. So no matter if you're under the spotlight or not, continue to make good choices. Can I tell you the story of Joe? Joe found himself on one of those trips where nobody knew who Joe was. Uh, Joe uh, was there working, and uh, before long, there was a, a lady that started coming on to Joe. And she did it in a not-so-subtle way. She did it aggressively, overtly, and repetitively. And, you know, had Joe said yes to those temptations, 
no one would have been the wiser because no one knew who he was. And yet, Joe made the wise choice, the godly choice. And he said, no, no, no. And he tells us why he did that as we read in, in Genesis chapter 39, his account, when he would say this, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? See, so says Joseph of Genesis. Character is who we are when no one's looking. And our choices should not be contingent or hinge on our chance of discovery. Can I give one that one to you again? Consistent obedience does not hinge on the chance of discovery. Now, I was trying to figure out how to illustrate this consistent obedience, no matter when, no matter who's looking, and the perfect example came up, as God so often does when we have to teach a passage. I got home about a week ago, a little over a week ago, opened up the mail, and the city of Scottsdale sent me just the perfect illustration of this. When I opened up the letter, uh, I, I'm not admitting to any uh, infraction here that I may have been 12 miles over, but I was just amazed at the clarity of those pictures that they send to you. <laughs> and as I remember that incident, I remember, oh yes, there was that little quick flash of light that I uh, observed on Bell Road. And you know, had I known that that little box was going to be there, I would have backed off. And yet, what, what was God teaching me? Consistent obedience, no matter who's looking. And that's how it should be for our Christian faith. That's what Paul wanted for the Philippians, and that's what God wants from us. Consistent obedience, all the time, no matter who's looking. Well, how is that possible? It's possible with this next point, is, is when we respect and submit to God. And that comes into play with this phrase, he says, now, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I'm going to take that, that little phrase, work out your own salvation, I'm going to put it aside, we'll come back to that in a minute, but wh what does it mean to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? I love the way the New Living Translation phrases this. It says that we would be obeying with deep reverence and fear. Deep reverence. I love the fact that, that Tim would pick out songs and accentuate this reverence aspect, even as we sang right before coming up here. That the mountains would bow down in reverence so will we. You know, I wonder in our society where we've become so casual, so um, cavalier, so comfortable with God, if we've lost this idea of being reverent before him. That when we would think about or experience God as we read his word, that we would just sit back and silent awe oh, and wonder about his majesty. 
I was thinking about Job. As Job worked in the book of Job, he works through 37, 38 chapters where he's trying to figure life out. Why has God been so hard? His friends are giving him advice. Sometimes it's not so good. And he's wrestling with all this. And then after all of their dialogue, then God steps in. And God starts to ask Job some questions. And as soon as God does that, Job responds by saying, behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? He has that aspect of, oh, what have I done? I shouldn't have even opened my mouth. You ever been struck by that sense of reverence? Don't turn there. I want you to just listen to to the book of Isaiah in chapter 6. Isaiah is going to have an encounter with God. And that encounter is going to lead to a deep sense of reverence and awe. And then it's going to lead to obedience. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. These are angels. Each one had six wings, and with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom shall go for us? And then I said, Here I am. Send me. You see what's happening here? Isaiah is given just a glimpse of the glory and the majesty and the awesome wonder of God and in humbleness said, man, I'm not worthy. But then in recognition of that which only God could do said, here am I, send me. My beloved, if we had a good sense of reverence and awe for God, our obedience would be a supernatural byproduct of that. It's a healthy thing to view God with fear and trembling. The same God that shook the mountains of Mount Sinai is the same God that lovingly says, I will discipline those whom I love. We can honor God both ways. Well, that's consistent obedience, and that brings us to the next major section, which is our continual dependence. You see, that type of obedience doesn't come naturally. 
We need to depend on God, and, and Paul's going to draw out three things that speak to that. And it gets back to that expression that we read before, work out your own salvation. What is that about? Well, if you've read any of the New Testament, and certainly a lot of Paul's letters, you would understand that if you take out just that one little expression, work out your own salvation, it's not in any way referring to coming to faith in Christ, because that is a total work of God. From start to finish, it's a work of God. And he's already told us that in Philippians. He said, being of the same mind, um, or he who began a work in you will bring it to completion. So I put it this way, thinking about what it means to work out our salvation. It's not saying don't work for your salvation. Like a dog would work for your favor or for a treat by doing something. We don't have to work for our salvation. We don't have to work toward our salvation as some joint venture project. We don't work in our salvation because when we come to God's party, we have nothing that we're bringing to the party. Everything that we have from start through it to finish, we need to be dependent upon God. And so we work out our salvation as a result as the end product of that which God is working in each of us as followers of Christ. And he names three specific things that you and I need to depend upon God for in order to have this, uh, this sense of continual dependence. The first is this, we depend upon God for the desire for the desire. Think of it in regards to your mind. Those things that you're thinking about, that you're intentional with your thoughts, that's what Paul has in mind when he says that God works in you to will, to will. Being of the same mind, having the mind of Christ. As one of the guys that I meet with in discipleship said, you know, discipleship is really nothing more than learning to make the immediate choice that's the next best choice of what God has commanded. I thought that's a great way to describe discipleship. It's thinking about what the next good choice is and then doing it. Like Thomas reminded us last week that our outlook determines our outcome. Or as John Wooden, the basketball coach from UCLA said, he said it this way, there is a choice that we have to make in everything that we do. So keep in mind that in the end, the choice you make makes you. I like that. I think Paul would like that. I think God would like that because he is accentuating the fact that our right obedience, our dependence starts in what we're thinking about. It starts in our will. It starts in our mind. But it doesn't end there. It, it leads to our, when we depend upon God for the drive and if, 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 if desire equated to mind, think of drive as the motor. Because he puts it this way, that God is at work in you to will and to work. Now the Greek word work is the Greek word energizio. Energizio. What, what word does that sound like to you? Energy, yeah. 
And that's, that's what this word means. It means how it sounds in English. It's the inner drive that, that strengthens us, that gives us the fuel to do that which God has asked us to do. If we're dependent upon f- uh, human effort, We'd fade out pretty fast in that, in that resource. But God says, I'm going to give you the will and I'm going to give you the, the work and the energy to per- do what you need to do. J.I. Packer is a writer and a pastor, and he was writing about a, a, a minister that was working in the 1600s and working under some really hard conditions. And he writes about this, this pastor this way. The hope of heaven brought him joy. And I I think that's an uncommon joy. But the hope of heaven brought him joy and joy brought him strength. And so he was astoundingly able to labor on. Astoundingly able to labor on. Friends, does that describe you? In our first service this morning, sitting right over here was uh, Jim Ricketts. He's just gone through some tremendously difficult uh, cancer surgery. And I ran into Jim yesterday as he was slowly making his way up to his discipleship class. I said, Jim, how are you doing? And he stopped and leaned over the window and said, Mark, I'm just praying that God gives me the strength to keep going. And I said, that's exactly what we're talking about tomorrow. It's that energizio that gives Jim the strength to journey on. I was thinking of all the cancer survivors that we see every week in our prayer request sheet. So many of them are just trying to figure out how am I going to get the strength? We get it through Christ. We had a gal in our small group that lost her husband this last summer through COVID. And when she was with us a, a, a week or so ago, we, we were asking, how, Lori, how are you doing? How are you making it? And it was like she was singing the lyrics from this song that she said, you know, he gave me hope when hope was gone and he gave me the strength to journey on. That's energizio. That's doing what Paul's going to write about in chapter 4, verse thing, verse 13, when he would say, I can do all things. How? Through Christ who strengthens me. We need to depend upon God for the desire. We need to depend upon God for the drive. And here's the third thing. We need to depend upon God for the devotion. For the devotion. And if you can kind of been dozing off a little bit here, kind of nudge the person beside you, because this is, I think, maybe the most important of the three. We need to depend upon God for the devotion. Devotion, think of that. Let me give you an M word. It's the word motivation. What really beats inside your heart to help you do this? That's the devotion. It's how Paul would say it, to work for his good pleasure. His good pleasure. There's a, a writer by the name, a pastor by the name of John Piper, and several years ago, he wrote uh, this book called um, uh, uh, Meditations of a Christian Hedonist. And he t- kind of coined this term, Christian Hedonist. Now, we don't use the word hedonist very often. It means that we would seek after something that brings us pleasure. That's what a hedonist does. Seeks after something that brings him pleasure. Piper combined it with the idea of Christianity. And he puts it this way in his book. He said, we should seek to satisfy our longing to be happy and nourish this desire for happiness with whatever will provide the deepest 
and most enduring level of satisfaction. And the deepest and most enduring happiness is found only in God. Not even from God, but in God. That's what it means to be a Christian hedonist. In our first service, he normally sits right over here. I don't know if he's here this hour. He wasn't last hour. But there's a guy by the name of Peter who is, whose testimony was featured in one of our Easter videos where they showed how God is impacting lives. And Peter put it this way. He said, you know, I used to try to find my happiness in substances, in success, and stuff. But now I'm learning that my greatest happiness is found in Jesus. Now, Peter may not realize it, but he's learning to be a Christian hedonist by finding his pleasure in pleasing God. That's a great devotion. That's what God wants from all of us. I had a pastor that said, referring to his job as teaching pastor, he said, my job as a teaching pastor is to help people understand the pleasure in pleasing God. David, you remember Daryl talking about that? Pleasure in pleasing God. Man, there's no greater joy than that. And that kind of devotion, that kind of dependence is based on having a relationship not just a perfunctory relationship, not a rules or rituals relationship, it's a relationship that's deep down in your heart. So if you don't have that relationship with Christ, can I invite you to accept that even today? What a great day to, to start that loving relationship that God wants to have in each and every one of us. You know, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And that love and devotion just joins hands with, with obedience and dependence. Now, let me just give you another little marriage tidbit here. This works in marriage as well, this devotion thing. So for example, Mary Beth, uh, her love language is acts of service. So years into our marriage, too late, or I finally got it, uh, I realized that I could tell Mary Beth I love her if I made her coffee in the morning, if I came by and filled it up, made sure it was full, uh, if I was taking out the garbage or you know, emptying the dishwasher. Those were all ways in which I was telling Mary Beth that I loved her. And after a while, after doing this year for now almost 45 years, you know what? I've come to enjoy that. It brings me pleasure to bring Mary Beth pleasure. Now, is it sometimes work? Mm, yes, sometimes it is. And when I did this Thursday, I just stopped there, and everybody thought that Mary Beth was exceptionally hard to live with. That's not at all, that's not at all the case. So let me expand this to make sure that I don't throw her under the bus and I can go home happy. Um, sometimes it's hard, it's hard work to, to do that, not because of her, but because of me. You see, I'm selfish underneath this nice exterior. You see, I can be a little selfish at times. I can put my needs above hers. 
I can put my agenda above her agenda and I can find pleasure in wanting my needs met. And that's when it becomes hard work to love Mary Beth. Or perhaps why it sometimes can become hard work for us to be obedient and find pleasure in pleasing God. And this is where this thing comes together. Paul would write this in Colossians 1, 28 and 29, which is a complimentary verse to, Ephes- or to Philippians 2 here. He says this, him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. To me, that's just discipleship. Paul's talking about how we get people to mature in their faith. And for this, Paul writes, I toil. That's a hard word. That's an agonizing word. That's a word that takes work. I toil for this, and I struggle. But how does he do it? Here's the balance. With all of his energy that God powerfully works within him. Friends, that's how we balance this thing, whether it's his work or our work. We are called to work and work hard, but we do it depend upon that which God provides for us. And he gives us the mind, he gives us the motor, and he gives us the motivation for wanting to do it. Why? For his pleasure. For his pleasure. Any Chick-fil-A fans here with us? Yeah, yeah, who doesn't like Chick-fil-A? Well, you go to Chick-fil-A tomorrow, um, order up a sandwich, and thank them for their order. Uh, And you know how they'll respond? My pleasure, exactly. Everything that you say to them, they'll, they'll not say, you're welcome, they'll say, my pleasure. Well, folks, that's a fast food restaurant, for goodness sakes. What would our lives be like tomorrow if with every choice that we were make, whether you're going into a board meeting or you're having to work with someone that just rubs you the wrong way, what would it look like if you said, I'm gonna just pick out one of the attributes of Christ. Maybe it's to be humble. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna just pause I'm gonna pray, God, help me with this, and then I'm gonna proceed and make the right decision for your pleasure. Our lives would be radically different tomorrow if we did this. So how does this look like in real life? Well, uh, about three weeks ago, there were a bunch of guys up at a discipleship retreat. Now, discipleship, as you can see on both sides of the stage here, make disciples is one of the big commands that we've been given. And we can be obedient to that command. And there were a bunch of guys up at the retreat that were celebrating this make discipleship command. And one of the guys that was there is a guy by the name of Craig Hyatt. Craig was receiving his baton, which signifies that he's moving from a guy that's being discipled, now over a sequence of years, he's now ready to make disciples. And I want you to listen to his story, and I want you to see if you can pick out so much of what we just talked about on how to be consistently obedient and constantly dependent through Craig's words. What is discipleship? And what does it mean to me? What's happened? I've gone from knowing very little to understanding the Great Commission 
and taking that seriously to have a, a fuller knowledge of this spiritual walk and then to know that okay it's time to go do it yourself you go do it and I'm in my first first leg of that and it uh, <laughs> it's not as hard as people think um, it it, um, it has been it has been a commitment that that I, is a high priority in my life. It's 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 a major priority in my life now, and uh, I see that I just see the fruit of that coming to me, but more for the glory of God. Um, excites me. I'm ready to do more. A point where I was four years ago, where I am today, I, it is it is just dramatic in health, knowledge, comfort, understanding, growth. Um, joy to, to, to really um, um, give me peace that, that, that's something I want to share I want to give that away so did you hear those words intentional that's talking about our mind not as difficult as you'd think that's because he's using the energizio power of God to do discipleship peace joy happiness that's the doing it for God's pleasure folks we can do this I've looked around these last couple of weeks to try to figure out how many others are doing obedience and dependence. And I saw last week and heard about uh, 40 of our high school and junior high students, those with special needs and those without special needs, they got together because they were trying to live out what it means to think of others as more important than yourself. And they're helping each other grow in their faith. I thought of, of Chuck back here doing the drums. On Easter Sunday, he was doing that spoken word, and he did it under the spotlight of the public uh, stage, and he did it with excellence and with enthusiasm. But what you may not have seen is that he jumps off that stage, and in the quietness of doing something in the dark, he goes and starts emptying trash cans. Why? I think it's because he was being humble, and he was obedient and he was serving like Jesus. Folks, we can do this. My beloved, can I appeal to you? Be consistently obedient. How? By being completely dependent upon that which God provides each and every one of us. Hey, we're gonna close with a great song. It's a song of devotion. It's a song of surrender. It's a song that we're basically declaring, God, we're gonna crown you the Lord of all. Let's sing it as an anthem for what we've learned today. Hey, as a, as a prayer or a benediction, let me read to you from the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you, us, with everything good that we may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, work out that which he's worked in you. God's best to you.